You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. You guys ever have those uh, those moments? Like sometimes you're like in the shower, you're like trying to go to sleep at night, and then a moment pops in. Oh, why am I picking my mask? I'm taking off. I honestly don't even notice it anymore. Um, so yeah. Does, does anyone ever have those moments where you're laying awake at night and then your mind or Satan, I don't know, puts in your mind a moment in your past that you just regret, right? You're just thinking about like, oh, this thing that just keeps me awake. One of the moments for me, it's, it's not a huge one. I have like way worse ones than this one. But one of the moments for me, I was at my like seven-year-old birthday party and we were at the park. We were all, you know, all the kids were gathered and we were eating pizza. And my grandmother, not the one who lives with me, but the one on my mother's side, uh, who passed away like 20 years ago, but she came up to me and she's carrying this big tray of homemade strawberry jello. And she says, Brett, would you like some jello for your birthday? Now, the thing about me is that I don't actually have a big sweet tooth. I'm not too big on sweets. I eat them occasionally, but I'm not too big on And even as a kid, I didn't eat too much sweets. And for whatever reason, I said, no, thank you. And I could see her face just kind of drop a little bit. Be like, oh, I prepared this for you. I made this gift for you. You know, I spent however long it takes to make jello, and I made this tray of jello for you. And then she offered some of my friends, and for whatever reason, my friends were also like, oh, no, thank you. And no kid took any jello. And to this day, I kind of remember that moment of just seeing my grandma, you know, Asian grandmas, their way of showing love is giving you food. And here I was rejecting that gift. And I always say, Grandma, if I see you in heaven and you're carrying a big tray of jello for me, I'm going to sit down and eat that whole tray of jello with you. <laughs> but sometimes we're like that with God. God has a big gift for us. God's got a tray of jello. It's not jello, of course. Okay? It's, it's a gift, whatever gift it is. And sometimes we're like, no, thanks. No, I'm good. I don't really want it. God has gifts for us. The question is, are we going to accept them and say yes? Or in something, is something inside us that says, no, maybe not? So we're closing up our revival series, and I want to revisit the passage that Jody brought to us on that first week, and that is in 2 Chronicles 7.14. I'm actually really glad I get to preach from the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of refreshing. I've been really reliant on Paul lately. Um, and so I want to uh, just read that passage to you again. God says to, and he's talking to King Solomon, he says, this is 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, a little background as to what's going on here. Okay? King Solomon is the son of King David, and he has just finished, his, uh, finished building the temple okay, where God is going to dwell with the Israelite people. Uh, seven years later, God visits him after he's completed his own palace, his own house, and says this. This is 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 12 through 16. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open. 
and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place, for now I've chosen and consecrated this house so that my name be th- may be there, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And then he, of course, warns Solomon, he says, hey, you know what, if you want your, if you want your reign to, to succeed and keep going, don't turn away, follow my commands, and don't turn to idols or other gods. And so what is happening here, it's actually a retelling of the same story from 1 Kings chapter 9, 1 through 9. And if you look at uh, and compare the two texts, um, they're they're very similar, but they actually have some different wording in it. And there's one big noticeable difference between the two texts, and that is that in Chronicles, there's this addition of 13 through 15, including verse 14, which was the main one we read, and that it's added into the text. Now, for some of us, that may be a little bit jarring. That may be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. That may seem like a, a contradiction. Because we have the same story written in the Bible, but told two different ways. Okay? And for some people, that can kind of mess us up in our mind. And a lot of Christians, they feel the need to harmonize the text. They, to like, okay, well, no, well, it had to be combined. Or, you know, God then revealed more to the chronicler or, or whatever. The truth is we don't really know what happened word for word. We don't know exactly what was said, okay? Because we have the two texts, and they're both in the Bible. And the problem is that if we try to solve the problem, we're actually doing a disservice to what the Bible actually is. The the atheists um, or the non non-believers who say like, "Oh, look, there's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. Therefore, the Bible can't be true." They're missing the point. And the Christian who also says, well, I need to make it work exactly and say, well, this is the fact of what it said. And I know that's what it said. That's exactly what happened. They're missing the point too. The, what, we're, what we're doing when we do that is we're taking our 21st century lenses and our modernist and postmodernist thinking and applying it to the Bible, which was written far before that and doesn't fall into those same categories. And we're actually doing a disservice to what the Bible is trying to speak what God is trying to get to us in these two texts. God felt it appropriate to insert both of these stories into Scripture. And so therefore, he must have a point. And so indeed, if we look and understand at the history of what's going on, at the context of what's going on, we can understand why this little addition was added to this story. Chronicles was probably written in the 5th century B.C., And during this time, Israel had already split into two nations. There was the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And they had indeed fallen away from God, just as God had warned them against. And he let them be taken over by the Assyrian Empire. And then, uh, like 120 years later, the Assyrian Empire was then overthrown by the Babylonian Empire. And so by this time, Israel had become basically um, a small vassal state to Babylon. And by the end of Chronicles, we read that the Persian Empire has now taken over the Babylonian Empire, and uh, Israel now belongs to them. And they've been in basically this exile um, under under the power of other nations for like 200 years. By the end of Chronicles, we see that the Persian king Cyrus is now allowing the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem, to go back and rebuild their city and rebuild the temple. So in terms of Israel being a nation, things were pretty bad because they weren't a nation anymore, right? They were basically taken over. They, were, they fell away. They split into two kingdoms, and they got conquered like three times over. Israel and Judah were at the point of history. They were a small vessel state tossed to and fro under the power and politics and wars of the big players in the region. Things were not so great. You can imagine that the Israelites during this time, the Judeans during this time, were thinking, what happened? Is it over? Where was God? 
Is, is this the death of Israel? But God's love won't quit. Despite all that had happened, despite the Israelites' unfaithfulness, God is now orchestrating all of the events to fall into place so that the Israelites could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Through King Cyrus, he says, all right, now you can go back and build your temple. We're going to end this exile period. So now there's a rebirth, a revival. Maybe, just maybe, God had more. Maybe this could be a new beginning for the Judean people. So the chronicler is basically talking now to his audience, who, of course, are the Jews headed back to Israel. time, And he most likely uses that First Kings text as his source, and he's sort of not rewriting, but he's adding in what God wants to speak to them through this tale. So says, all right, we're going back to rebuild the temple. Let's go back to the story of when the temple was first built. Why did it not work out that time? It's because we fell away, guys. It's because we weren't in the position to maintain that. And so God took it from us. So now that we're going back, let's get it right. Now that we're going back, I need to give you a little extra instruction. God has extra instructions for you. He's interpreting the first king's text for his text and says, all right, let's get this revival right. Let's not squander this rebirth. So 2 Corinthians 7.14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the vision that God had for the Israelites during this time. This is a firm reminder to his readers. Amber alert. I'm going to turn that off here. <laughs> Everyone's phones are going to go off in the next like 10 minutes, right? So this is a firm reminder, a firm reminder that revival is happening. God is faithful. His steadfast love endures forever. The promise of David's line and our people endure Let's make sure we get it right this time. It's a second chance at life. Let's shoot for the goal. Let's shoot for God. We've got a new destiny. We're headed back home to Jerusalem. Let's build this temple and let's do it right. We have to posture ourselves to make sure that it lasts. So let's listen to what God has for us. The question basically is, is Israelites, do we want this? Do we want this? And if so, what are we going to do about it? When I was in high school, I did a lot of theater, and uh, my theater teacher uh, taught us using the Stanislavski method, and, and without going into too much detail, the main, uh, the main point of Stanislavski method is, in your character, there's another one, <laughs> in your character, what does your character want? What is my motivation? What is the objective of my character, and how am I going to get it? And that shapes how you then use your craft and, and you know, deliver your lines and follow your blocking and all that kind of stuff. And we have to ask ourselves the same question. What do we want? Do we want what God has for us? And if we do, what are we going to do to get it? We have to be in that ready position. We have to be ready to posture ourselves correctly. You think of like in baseball, right? When the infield, the outfield, when the, when the pitcher's ready to make their pitch and then the batter's getting ready, they're in ready position, right? Their knees are bent, they're hunched down, they're ready, their eyes are glued to, to the front, ready for them to explode if necessary to go and make that, that play at the hot corner or to, make, to run and catch a ball and, and dive if they need to. If they're just standing around like this, yeah, make that pitch. Go Dodgers, right? You know, that, that's not going to work. They're going to have to take an extra half step, an extra, an extra second just to get ready. They're not going to make that play. They've got to be ready to go. And we have to be ready to go too. The Israelite people had moved away from their posture. They began to bicker amongst themselves, divided their nation, worshipped other gods, became concerned with their own lives, lost sight of social justice. They turned away from God's commands. And so God let them be taken over. All right, 
But now there's a chance. Now there's a chance for them to be restored and return to God's ways. Are they going to take it? Revival at its core is being brought from death to life. When we think of the great revivals that Jody and Ken brought up to us, right, we often picture that ecstatic, Holy Spirit, fervent worship. And that's awesome, absolutely. But equally, and if not more important, is the transformation, the life transformation that comes after it. Are we ready for that? Because we can say, you know, I'm kind of not ready for a Holy Spirit crazy moment. That kind of scares me. I'm not ready for Azusa Street. I'm not ready for a tent revival. I'm not ready for a tent revival either because it's been really hot. I'd rather have a nice air-conditioned revival. <laughs> uh, but it starts, revival starts with our response. It starts with our heart. Okay? God is the one who brings the Holy Spirit to us and wants to bring us revival. But if our hearts are closed off, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. We have to be ready to receive it. Because revival will take us somewhere. Are we ready for that? Jody said it. It's not a standalone event. It's not a standalone event. That's right here in my notes. The exact phrase. It's not a standalone event. Revival is a process. Revival takes us places. God is always on the move. Where is he taking us? Life. He's taking us to life. Real life. The life he has always intended for us. But we as the people have to be willing to go, to see what he sees, to believe the future he promises, and to respond to his love. The Jews were given this, this picture, healed land, forgiven sins, to be a people once more. Let's get it right this time. Are we going to position ourselves? And so for us, we're not headed back to Jerusalem to go visit the temple, to go rebuild the temple. Okay, we'd fly there one day. Sure, I'd love to take that trip, absolutely. But I'm glad we don't have to build a temple. I mean, all of us in this room, I'm sure we could do an okay job, but it's not going to be up to code for sure. Um, but for us, we're the temple, right? We're the temple. God's dwelling place is in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? We have an even closer relationship to God than the ancient Jews did. Jesus wants to bring revival to us. He wants to rebuild our temple, and he wants to make our dead places alive. Do we want to go there? Because it's his whole thing. If you'd ask God, what is your motivation? He would say, you guys, I want to bring revival to you guys. That's his objective. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So if that is God's objective, if that's what he wants, why doesn't it happen? It's because he won't force it. He's not going to force it on us. If that were true, then we'd just be puppets. Just as the chronicler emphasized to his readers, we've got to get this right. There is a response that needs to take place if we want to experience revival in our lives. So the question is, do we want it? And if so, what are we willing to do to receive it? Because when we ask ourselves that question, do we want it? Sometimes the answer is no. I don't actually want it. Or there's something in my life that is holding me back from, from wanting it. Some of us will say, I don't need revival. I go to church. I enjoy the service. Isn't that enough? If Christianity were just a religion, then yes, that probably would be enough. But if God is dwelling in our hearts, then this is a relationship. This is a relationship. I'm saved. Isn't that enough? Okay, sure, that's part of it. But Jesus did the work for that one. I'm alive in Christ. 
but are you living for Christ? Revival is bringing the dead to life. And that includes this life here. And we often have dead places in our life that God wants to bring to us. If we just concentrate on the salvation part, of course, that's, you know, important, very important. But if we just concentrate on the salvation, we're missing half the point. Because God's life starts right here, right now. Eternity starts now. We can start to live God's truth, God's blessings, God's life right now. Many times in our life, we let our life with Christ crumble. The temple starts to decay and fall apart. And when that happens, Jesus is no longer the leader of our life, but we are instead. Or the culture around us is. Or what other people say are. Is, and, and our circumstances is the leader. But it isn't Jesus. And when that happens, the cracks begin to show, the hurt surface, the selfishness takes over, the vices and the addictions and sin rule and death, maybe not physical death, but spiritual death in the daily life starts to take shape. And that's what becomes our king. He wants to bring those dead places to life. So what is it for you? A sin in your life that is dragging you down with guilt and shame? An addiction you just can't seem to get rid of? Hurting others, even people you love? Or being indifferent to even hurting people you love? My inability to get a hold of my finances, my need for control. Maybe I'm in a state of depression, constant emptiness, feeling like I'm a failure. Always feeling angry or jealous, having to compare myself to others. If we're honest with ourselves, we can say, hey, how are you doing? No, I'm fine. <laughs> but inside, there's something of death in our life. Some kind of darkness that's lurking behind the curtain. Psalm 85.6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice? In your life, are we crushed by what's going on? Are we crushed by the news? Are we crushed by uh, our circumstances? Are we crushed by our own, the own lies that we tell ourselves? God wants to bring us back and bring us revival so that we can rejoice. There's joy to be had. God wants to give this to us. And God's reply, that is yes, certainly. The wonderful thing is he wants to give us revival. He is more than willing to do so. He is more than willing to help us out. In his great and steadfast love for us, God is knocking on our temple doors, let me back in. Let me back in. And some of us, we didn't even know we kicked him out. What does he tell us? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. These are personal decisions for us. These words were given to Solomon, these words were given to the Judeans, and now they're given to us. God has the keys for revival, and he's giving them to us. And it's all through him. It's this amazing paradox that God is at once the goal of where we're trying to get to, and he's also the means of trying to get to that goal. He's everything. He is our everything. Do we want God in that way? Because God has it for us. God has it for us. He's willing to be with us every step of the way. Jody talked last week about the Holy Spirit and how it's a Holy Spirit life that we're supposed to be living. Do we want to include God? Do we want to include the Holy Spirit in our life? Because he wants to walk us to that goal. That already stirs me up. There's a little revival, I think, already in my, in my gut. The Savior of humankind would be with us, would be with me, just to bring life back to my life, real life. That's what God wants for us. He wants to start by reviving 
the most important relationship there could ever be. You and him. You and Jesus. That's where it starts. Are we going to respond to that? So what does he tell us? How does the relationship look? He says first, it's right there in the text. You're a people called by my name. You belong to me. You are mine. You are loved. You are cherished. You are my son. You are my daughter. The name of God is on you. And what does he say? It's going to be there forever and ever. Called by his name. As Jody said, um, I'm a cosplayer. And I did this week get to go to the red carpet premiere of uh, the new Marvel movie Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. If at all you feel safe to go to the theater in two weeks, please go see this movie. It's excellent. Excellent. Um, but I, I got to go there in, in costume. And um, yeah, there we go. Um, and uh, what, what, is, what is really fun about these premieres is, that of course, yes, I get to you know, uh, show off my craft a little bit and you know, interact with other people, other fans. But I also get to meet famous people. So, this, this time around, I, I did get uh, a selfie with Shang-Chi himself, Simu Liu, right, right there. Um, and so that was fun. And, even bigger, and I know Angie's jealous, <laughs> but I got to meet Sir Ben Kingsley. Yeah, big name actor, knighted, okay? It's huge. And so this was a lot of fun for me, okay? And, and, and if, ever, if anyone actually like, knows a famous person um, in real life, if, like, if you tweet them on Twitter or something like that, and they respond, then you're like, okay, like, you, you, you know my name, you talk to me, right? But here's the thing, on the day afterwards, um, I was working on this message, and I was um, you know, getting distracted, and I checked my email. And then I got an email that says, from Disney Marvel, subject line, Shang-Chi, Sorry, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi premiere. I'm like, I've never gotten a follow-up email. What is this? What is this? And my mind starts racing. I'm like, okay, did they notice me and said, hey, you know what? Your work is really good. We would love to have you come tour with us with, uh, with the cast, you know, on the world tour. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to that be? Yeah, are you calling me? Okay. Or he's like, hey, your craft is really good. We'd love you to come work on our costumes for the next movie. You know, I've gotten to work a little bit with Marvel in the past, but like nothing like that. Okay, maybe this is, okay. Click, open the email. Dear Mr. Yi, did you happen to leave a gray sweater in the theater? <laughs> because we found one and it was in your area. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. No, it wasn't my sweater. I hope you find it. I hope you find the right person. Thank you, I had so much fun. Love me. You know, that kind of thing, right? So, okay, I wasn't called by the name of the House of Mouse. I wasn't called by Marvel. I mean, not yet, yeah, right? right yeah. <laughs> but when God calls, when God calls, it isn't just, hey, do you lose your sweater? When God calls, it's, hey, my son or daughter, you want to come along for a journey? You want some life transformation? My son or daughter, I love you. My name is on you. You are mine. That's what happens when the name of God is on us. Yeah. I love 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts who, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's a beautiful picture of who you are. God calls you by name in his name. And then what does he say? He says, seek my face. Seek my face. It's more than just get to know me. It's more than just hang out with me. Seek my face. I picture like a newborn child 
reaching up and touching their mother or father's face for the first time. Oh, this is you who were talking to me when I was in the womb. This is you who sang me lullabies. This is you who read me stories. This is you who prayed over me while I was still in the womb. Hello, I love you. There's a tenderness, there's an intimacy. Come, seek my face. Understand me. Love, intimacy. That's what God's relationship is with us. And then what does he say also? He says, pray. He opens the lines of communication. God is not the God who's just sitting up in the clouds saying, all right, just, you know, handle yourself down there. He says, no, my son and daughter, talk to me and listen to me. I want to have a conversation to you. I'm always open. Like, you know, if Jesus had a, 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 an open sign that's flashing neon, right? Open, 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 24-7. He's constantly there. It doesn't matter what time of the day it is. He is there for you. And he wants your prayers. He wants to have communication with you. Second Chronicles 7, 15 through 16. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and heart will be there for all time. And then, of course, in our relationship with him, we have something that the Jews back then did not. And that is, of course, Jesus and the cross. The knowledge that Jesus modeled his life for us. That Jesus came down from heaven for us. That Jesus loved us so much that he would endure the pain and suffering of the cross for us. That we can now be in his family forevermore. God's love for us. God's relationship with us is the basis of revival. That's where it starts. Jesus wants to walk with me, talk with me, listen to me, wants me to follow. This is the Jesus who is calling me by name and calling me into his name to be part of his people, seek his face. What an honor, what a privilege. God wants to give you the deepest, most powerful, most fulfilling relationship with himself. Come back to the simple but profound and so rich truth that God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to love you, and he wants you to love him back. Do you want that? Does that truth stir something in you? It does for me. Because if we truly understand that, yes, God wants a relationship with me, even in our most deathly states, if we truly understand that, okay, the resurrection is true, If God's love is true, then maybe, just maybe, I can believe him for his vision for revival in my life. Maybe, just maybe, I can believe him for how he sees me, and I don't have to worry about how others see me or how I see myself. Maybe, just maybe, I can trust him with those death places that I've been trying to hide or ignore. We have a response to make. Can we admit, with all humility, but in the face of our loving and compassionate Jesus, that okay, I can trust you, God. Maybe I can have some from revival after all. Because we need that love to be the basis. Because revival itself can be a challenge. It can be a challenge. I like to think of it like this. Um, We just redid our bathroom, and we finally finished the project because there was a lot of delays because of COVID. Um, But we finally finished it. And my contractor said at the end of it, he says, I love this project because for you, we we got to go and start from scratch. I, I often do like remodels to where it's like, okay, you take out some of the things, and, but we leave a lot of the stuff, we leave all the piping, and you have to work around that, okay? Like the measurements have to be exact to fit what's already there, that limits what we can do in materials, and it's, it's tougher that way. 
But for us, we got to go in here and wreck the whole thing and start from scratch. And that's a lot easier and a lot more fun. And so sometimes God needs to do that for us, right? He needs to go in and destroy those things that are causing us to, uh, that are blocking us from revival. And so the contractor goes in there. He comes in, first day, sledgehammer. Boom! That wall came down. Bam! That bathtub destroyed, which was ultimately kind of sad to watch, but you're like, boom! It's like, you know, I can imagine coming in with a chainsaw and just chop it all down. And like, that could be happening in our lives, all those bad things. And then we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that sounds like it hurts. That sounds a little painful. That sounds a little scary. No, no, not that one, God. That one I kind of need to hang on to. Uh, sometimes that's the way it works in our life. I'm not ready for that. Jesus, I've, I've tried to get, get rid of this thing before, and you've seen me try, but it didn't work. I don't want to try that again. Solomon was warned about the idols in his life, right? Or the, the idols in the Israelites' life. And we may not have idols you know, other gods or worshiping wooden statues. But many times the things in our life, those death places can become so big, so monstrous, so unstoppable, that in a way they become other gods. And we hear in the back of our minds, you'll never be free. As we go and we close that prison cell again, close that door gently but sadly, you'll never be free. Yes, master. I want revival but I'm scared to keep failing or feel like I failed God. I, I don't want to disappoint him, so why bother? Our hearts cry out in our deepest silences, I'm tired of being tired. I don't want to struggle anymore. I want to be free, but doubts take over. Those juggernauts of sin pound their fists. The enormity of the fight fills our hearts. The discouraging words of people we've hurt flare our anger and oppress our souls. I want revival, but I've been dead for so long. This death is so deep. Psalm 18, 4 through 5, the cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of perdition assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. Do we ever feel like that? We feel like, man, why bother? Why bother? And so Jesus comes, I want to free you from that. He says, no, 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 this one's mine. You can't see it. It's terrible. I don't want to show you, Jesus. We don't even let him in. Or maybe, maybe we say, you know what? No, Jesus, I'm going to hang on to this one. I kind of like this one. We kind of live in denial. Because, honestly, it's easier to sometimes live in those death places. It's sometimes easier to hang into the, onto those sins, and then why bother? You know, it's the path of least resistance. I like that. Maybe, you know, it's, it's slowly killing me, sure. It's hurting the other people around me, sure. But you know what? I like it, because my anger, my temper, my unforgiveness, my addictions, they help me feel good. When, I, when I'm in that place, I feel powerful. I feel right. I feel justified. It lets me be in control. It lets me not feel my pain anymore. And these idols are different. These idols say, you know what? Just give them to me, and I'll make your life nice and easy. You don't have to worry about anyone else. You can just be selfish. You can just pay attention to what you want. Who cares about hurting someone else? Who cares about breaking off that relationship? It's cool. Just follow me. And for that one, we say, yes, sir. 2 Peter 2.22, the dog goes back to its own vomit, and the sow is washed only to wallow again in the mud. It's easy to go back to those things, those places of death. And so we hide from God, we put our walls up against him, we protect our death places like we need them because we've tricked ourselves into needing them. Transformation is at its nature a change, and we don't like change. We generally do not like change. We're just of habit, we're comfortable, 
The honest truth is, if I have to change something, it meant that something was wrong, which meant that I'm not perfect. And I don't want to confront that reality. That's not pleasant to face. No one likes hearing that. But God asks us to repent. But repenting would mean I have to admit I was wrong, I was weak, I'm not as strong as I lead on. But God says, humble yourself. Pray. Turn from those wicked ways and seek my face in humility. God says that in love, not in condemnation. In my love, you can admit to yourself that yes, maybe I wasn't as strong as I thought. The humility of knowing one's smallness, helplessness, admitting struggle, understanding we don't have it all together. God says, okay, that's all right. I am weak, but I can say that in the midst of God's safety in his love. Because you're his people. I want to forgive and heal you. I'm not here to condemn you. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with those who are contrite and humble in the spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite. God is with us in our weakness. And yes, it is going to be a little painful. We do have to mourn for that. We might need to cry for the places we've been. Sure. And admittedly, when we get to that point, that could spiral us into destruction. We're like, look how bad it's been. Look how bad it's been, God. I'm out. But God says, pray. Seek his face. And it is not the stern face of a disappointed father. It is not the scowl of, a dis of the disapproving mother. His hand is not outstretched to slap us to the ground. Instead, it is the compassionate, loving face of Jesus. A slight smile with eyes of hope gleaming at his son or daughter. And his hand is outstretched to raise us up and give us a warm embrace. That is our Jesus. And when we have that foundation of Jesus' love, when we know in our hearts, yes, Jesus is going to love me no matter what, it changes the context of change. It makes turning away from our wicked ways far easier. Because we've heard in our minds, no, you're wrong, you're terrible, you're, you're not worthwhile, you're a failure. And instead, God says to us, okay, yeah, you might be hurting yourself. You might be hurting those around you. But... I love you, I love you, I love you, and I want to see you freed from this. I want to give you life. Turn back to me. I want to give you life. I want to give you revival. We have the comfort of knowing that even in our most unrepentant states, God still loves us. God still loves us. Romans 5.8, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That can give us freedom. If God's love is real, if our relationship with Jesus is real, if the Holy Spirit really can be with us and walk us through to revival, then maybe, just maybe, I can let go of those death places and see them not as shameful, horrible secrets of unstoppable giants, but places for God's love to shine. Shine in my life. Maybe I can see myself not as a failure or a sinner, but as his child. Maybe I can throw away this idol that's been plaguing me for so long and place God back on the throne of my life. Maybe I can do that. God's love changes our hearts so that repentance and transformation are not terrifying and backbreaking, but instead they're freeing and life-giving. Revival starts with a human response. Jody gave us this challenge last week. What if all of us in this room, 
all of us in, at, at this church grasp hold of this truth just a little bit more. We all found a little bit more revival. The beautiful reality that Jesus has set before us, where humility and repentance are, yes, part of life, but they're anchored and saturated in God's love. And God says, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. They will be my people that are called by my name. This grand vision of unity, community, together. Because, yeah, when one of us catches it, another sees it. Whoa, I want some of that. Whoa, I want some of that. And then it catches it then. And then it catches to another person. And boom, and boom, and boom, and bigger and bigger. The community grows and revival grows. And then, of course, in our humanness, we see it and we say, wait a minute. That person over there is included? That person hurt me. That person offended me. Those people at work who I just can't stand, they're included in this? I have to preach to them? I don't know. I don't want to do that. Those people that don't look like me? No, it might even be someone in my family, maybe my spouse. My kids? They're included in this? I don't know about that. Someone I don't get along with. Maybe someone doesn't vote like me. And let's be clear, there there are Christians who vote on both sides, or some of us who just vote and have a bad taste no matter what we vote. Maybe it's, you know, maybe someone with a culturally different than us, someone with different opinions, different theology. All these people in our lives, and we have this hate. That's another barrier to revival. And God wants to break those down too. We say, hang on a minute. I may need a little revival. But you know who really needs a revival? That guy. Hmm. And if that's the way we're thinking, if that's the way we're thinking, then yeah, okay, they might need some revival, probably, sure. But maybe there's something in here that we need to. There's some revival that we didn't even know about. Hey, in our own hearts, we could be blocking revival with our unforgiveness, with our holding on to hate or grudges, sitting in silent judgment, feeling the air of moral superiority, letting our wounds fester, brewing our hate, simmering our jealousy. To get revival, God says, I need humility. But I'm right. I was wronged. I shouldn't have to be humble. The posture of revival is prayer, but it's pretty hard to have authentic prayer when you're prowling around like a wounded animal, seething with anger. Matthew 6, 12, right? We're supposed to be praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but instead we say, God, I want to collect this debt. We're supposed to seek his face, but instead we're seeking silent revenge in our minds, fixating on justice for ourselves and what to say to hammer that point home whenever I see that person next, rather than... God's forgiveness and reconciliation. Turn from our wicked ways. Well, they need to turn from their wicked ways. And then we're not, in a, we're not in a position to see our own sin and be transformed. We can be God's people called by his name, but we're too busy calling other people names. It's another form of idolatry. With the, yes, the conflicts can be real. That hurt may be real. That offense may be real. Absolutely, sure. But if we're letting that be our God, and so often we do, then God is not God. Our ego and our pride, they become our gods. God gave me this horrifying thought this week. Why do the sheep need to be brought to the shepherd to go out and pasture, be fed by the shepherd, when the sheep are already full from eating each other? It's like, dang, God. Cannibalistic sheep here. That's sometimes who we are. Our human nature is to protect ourselves. I know that. Our human nature is to survive and not risk being vulnerable. It's easier to keep our relationships in our dead places, driven from our pain or our hurt or ourselves. It's easier to talk to people with a knife behind our back in case things go south. It's easier to keep people at arm's length and yell across our keyboards rather than seek understanding of people's experiences. It's easier to lay, uh, 
It's easy to just let death, hatred, tribalism, and violence dominate our lives and our relationships. It's easier than loving. It just is, because it's our human nature. But when we do that, we forget that there are people out there who are desperate for God's love. Desperate for the same love that we've already received. And then when we can't forgive them, we forget that God's forgiven us of our sins. Are we going to position ourselves? Because God gives us the keys. He gives us the keys for this, right? We have the keys to free them and free ourselves from this thing. And it starts again with the love of God. God loves me and God loves them. I may not want to admit it, but God loves them too. And if that's true, then I've got to love them too. In my humility, I've got to say, okay, I've sinned, but I was forgiven. And I probably contributed to this conflict too, probably. Takes two to tango. So I can forgive. Pray. Okay, that's another key. I've got to pray for the strength to have a real conversation, to confront this thing in love. But when I do that, then okay, let's pray together. Let's seek his face together. Let's ask God to help us understand and reconcile together. God gave us the key already. Let's recognize our shared humanity, but also the fact that God wants all people to be called by his name. He wants all of us. I may be overinterpreting the Bible a little bit here, but in 2 Chronicles, if you read the whole text, you're going to notice that the chronicler kind of has a bias against the northern kingdom. He's kind of like, they're the ones that messed this up. And you kind of read that in the text. But God, in his great mercy at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to the disciples and invaded them, made them speak in tongues, and everyone was around them from all different nations gathered in Jerusalem, gathered for the upper room, bringing the people back together. That's what God's vision is. And so God might be rebuking the chronicler a little bit. Hey, yeah, you got most of this right. But now I want to see the people come back together. You see, even the northern and southern kingdom come back together. Can we posture ourselves away from our human nature that brings us death in our relationships and shift to God's ways? Because if we can become the people who forgive and grow and find life and reconcile, people notice. People notice because it's so different than what we find outside in the world. If we can saturate ourselves in God's love and truly gasp, grasp what a life-changing thing it is, then we will start to see revival. The Bible tells us so. It starts with you and me. And it could snowball into something else. You know, we first see in our lives, whoa, that felt great to see that part revived. God, can I have a little more for this one? Can I have a little more for this one? And boom, and boom, and boom, and grows, and grows. And we become the people we were meant to be. And then others see it. Say, like, yes, I want some of that too. I want some of that too. Now, you may be thinking, uh, I, I'm not depressed. I'm not struggling with that kind of sin. I'm not in any relational struggle. Awesome. Good for you. Okay? But there's still revival to be had. Go. Take that next step. Serve. Evangelize. Lead. There is more for you, too. God has revival every step of the way. He's asking us to constantly grow. Do we want to be that church? Do we want to be that church? Can we say, like, you know, follow the woman at the well. Come see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. But for us, come see Jesus who gave my life to death places. Come see Jesus who turned my depression into laughter. Come see Jesus who restored my marriage. Come see Jesus who transformed my anger into compassion, who transformed my jealousy into encouragement, who helped me reconcile with my brother. Come see my Jesus that took my soul that was dying every day and gave me life abundant. When we start testifying, when we start living this revival, we could have a South Margaret Street revival. 
right? We could have a Beverly Boulevard revival. Can you imagine in like 100 years? Like, wait, the South Margaret revival. This was the church it started in. This was great. This was the neighborhood that we did. This was the 7-Eleven that they had to go to to get more food because they ran out of food to feed all the people. And they got it for free because they go there so much and they started loving them, right? That could be us in 100 years. God could start moving there. Do we want it? Are we going to respond to the revival that God wants to give us? Close your eyes. Close your eyes with me. Ask God, is there a place where revival needs to start? What is it, God, in my life that you so desperately want to see life be brought to? What is it? What is it? The Lord wants to give us life. The Lord wants to bring us transformation. The Lord wants to show us something new. Are we going to respond? Ask in the depths of your heart, do I want this? I've been living my way for so long. I've been hiding this thing from God. Do I want revival? Do I want it? And if so, what am I willing to do to get it? God wants that for you this morning. God wants that for you in this life. May it be so. God, we love you. Your love is so powerful. Your love is so great. It overpowers everything in our lives that constantly wants to get in the way. But God, your heart is for us. Your heart is for us. It's your goal. It's why you came for us, to love us. May we know that in our hearts this morning. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand for a second? Lot to chew on, not just for today, for weeks and more. Um, I'm not going to add to what Brett was praying. Honestly, friends, this is something I say. It sounds pretty simple, but it's true, and I've seen it time and time again. Those who want more of God get more of God. God does not withhold himself from his children. If you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling like there's a blockade, if you're feeling like you're in a place where you're not finding breakthrough, that breakthrough we sang about this morning, this breakthrough we've been hearing about when it comes to revival, breakthrough. If you're experiencing that, it is not God withholding himself from you. It's the discernment of recognizing what is it that is blocking, it's like a vein. What's, what's, what's that blockage? Where do I gotta find it? It could be something in your life that needs a change. It could be repentance. It could be, you know, a, I don't know. And we have to be brave enough and courageous enough to allow that thing to be removed so that the, the flow of God, that revival of God, that life of God can come. And I'm telling you, those who are courageous enough to see it will see revival in their, in their lifetime. Those who are courageous enough to make those hard decisions, and it's not easy. It's not easy to just, I mean, it could be a tweak. It could be a ministry. It could be like, you know what, I'm not in the right ministry. I should be doing something else. Find it. Find the life of God. He is not withholding it from you. 
That's my prayer. That's my prayer for all God's people, not just our church. When I go into other churches, find the life. God wants to see his church explode, his church, not Restoration LA, his church. We have to find the life of God. And if there's a blockage, if it's culture, if it's news, turn off the news. If it's politics, stop listening to it. If it, Whatever, just get in the stream and the life of God. This is where revival is at. That's our prayer for you. That's what this whole series has been about. Not about us having tent meetings, although I, I like tent meetings, bro. No. Um, not because of COVID, but I, I, whatever. Um, God has life for you. And it's our heart and the life of this church for every person that walks through those doors that they find life and they jump in. They jump in. You have God's permission to jump in. So, Lord, I just bless every son and daughter in this room your children, who you have called by your name. Lord, those who, who need to humble themselves, Lord, I pray that their heart's posture will be to bend a knee to the King of Kings. Lord, for those who need to repent, Lord, if there has been sin in their life that has just been entangling them, you say, you ask us to cast this, to, to, to tear this sin off of our lives so that we won't be easily ensnared by these things. Lord, if it's a relationship that needs to be severed, that is, is blocking your life, Lord, I pray that that relationship will be severed in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about marriages. I'm talking about an ungodly relationship that is hindering the life of God. Lord, if it's just a decision. Lord, those who, those who fear responsibility in the life of the church, Lord, I just pray, I speak against that. I speak against a lying, the, 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 the cultural lie that, that the church just wants to keep people busy. And, and Lord, you have endowed your sons and daughters with gifts, spiritual gifts, and many of those gifts are to be used with the people of God. Lord, I pray, Father, that they will be courageous enough, courageous enough to jump in. None of us are experts. We're just sons and daughters trying to please our Father. And I just pray, God, that life, life will flow freely. Your sons and daughters will find the life and just start bathing in it. Lord, just, I, I see splashing, Lord, Lord, just splash pad water park days in Jesus' name for the life of your children, God. In Jesus' name, let revival come in the hearts of your children. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Well done, Brett. So cool. All right, Saturday, 6 p.m. You're all invited to be here. We would really love for you to come. Doors will open at 5 for some fellowship. There'll be some, like, you know, kind of light food and everything. If you guys want to come out and hang, um, please come. Come and worship. Bring a friend. Bring someone. Bring someone who needs Jesus. This morning, we prayed in our prayer service for those who need Jesus. Bring someone who needs Jesus. Maybe they won't come to a normal Sunday morning thing. Maybe they'll come to a Saturday night thing, and God will do something. Say, hey, come and check out my church on a Saturday night. It's going to be fun. We're going to be, you know, come and eat, whatever. Just bring them. Uh, watch God do something awesome. Um, and then so Saturday, 6 p.m., and then Sunday, 10 a.m. Don't forget, beach after this, head down to Huntington if you've got nothing else to do. Even if you need to go home and grab your stuff, head down anyways. Uh, they're going to be down there until the nighttime because obviously they're going to be bonfiring and all that kind of stuff. Um, outside of that, I think we love you. Yeah. We'll see we'll see you guys we'll see you guys next week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.